Life on Tour acknowledges the traditional owners of the lands upon which this podcast has been recorded. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. This episode was recorded on Gadigal land. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of Life on Tour, the podcast that celebrates the highs and lows of being a touring musical theatre performer. My name is Manon, and I'm so excited that you are listening to this episode today because it is pretty bloody amazing, I've got to say. Blake Erickson is the guest, and he is just one of the most well-spoken informed, intelligent, talented people I have ever met. So it is honestly such a pleasure to have him on this episode. And we're talking all about his career, his experiences, and also the fact that he didn't go to drama school, which I think was a really interesting topic of conversation to have, because we do touch on it in the conversation that sometimes there's a bit of an assumption that if you want to work in musical theatre, you have to have done your bachelor's degree. But that is not always the case. Blake has an excellent career. He's currently in Tina the Musical at the Theatre Royal in Sydney, and he, he is so, so good in it. Um, he was also in Girl from the North Country with GWB, as Shrek the Musical, which I worked with him on, and he was so good. He was covering Lord Farquaad, and he was just incredible. And, of course, he was Papa Bear as well. He's also been in Les Mis, Mamma Mia, Cry Baby. Like, the list goes on and on. So, it honestly, it's such an honor to have him on the podcast. And Blake also does make some excellent points in the episode that – you know, a lot of people who you do work with, you don't know where they went to drama school and it doesn't really matter because it is about telling that story that you are employed to tell and doing the best work that you can to honour the work that's in front of you. So, yeah, I think for anyone, this episode is obviously for, for everyone and for anyone who knows Blake and is interested in his incredible work, but also for anyone who might be feeling a little bit like They'll never make it if they, you know, don't do their their three years of training or, or one year of training or whatever that is. Blake makes so many excellent points in this conversation, so I'm so excited for you to listen to it. And I think the main takeaway is that everyone is on their own individual journey and, you know, what's meant for you is not going to pass you by. There's not one way of doing something, you know, and a lot of the time in this industry, we are all people who are on our own journey, who are just arriving at a certain spot with a bunch of other people. That doesn't mean that we have to have gotten there through one linear track. So I absolutely loved this conversation and I'm sure you will too. Now, there were a couple of other things I wanted to chat about before we get into the conversation with Blake. <laughs> One of them was just a little anecdote where in the conversation we do mention this sort of imposter syndrome tendency to pedestal people that you've looked up to in the past. And I, <laughs> wanted to, I, I just wanted to share, like in my very first gig, um, my professional debut, if you will, I didn't talk, I think, for about the first two weeks because I was so starstruck by these celebrities who were around me. I think I might have mentioned this in like a very early episode, but there was like a particular 
person who sat next to me, I'm not going to say who they were because I haven't asked their permission to share that story, but um, they were sitting next to me when we were learning the music and they kept like trying to, t- trying to talk to me and like be nice and make me feel welcome. And I just, I would like smile at them, but wouldn't say anything. And they thought that I hated them <laughs> because I was, <laughs> I was just so starstruck. I, I literally had no idea what to say. I was overthinking everything and yeah, it was just, you know, I, I, I still do that. There are still some people that I'm just so starstruck by that I, I can't even, I just can't even talk to them. And we do talk about that in the conversation as well. So I thought I would share that. I do just want to also reiterate that, you know, everyone is different and everyone is on their own paths. And just because, you know, I say something is true to my experience doesn't mean it's going to be true to everyone's experience. For example, I think I share in this conversation with Blake uh, an anecdote where a teacher of mine at the end of drama school said, you know, everyone sort of leaves drama school doing what they did when they came in. They just know how to access that stuff better and they have a whole bunch of other skills as well. That that was – it rang true to me in many ways um, – for my experience, but that's not to say that that is true across the board, you know? So I, I just wanted to to say that, you know, everyone, everyone is on their own journey and, you know, what's meaningful for you is meaningful for you. And what's meaningful for me is what's meaningful for me. And yeah, we can all share in each other's experience. Okay. Now in terms of a tour update, I guess. Not that I am actually on tour at the moment. As I've mentioned, I am in the in-between. But I did want to share that um, the last few weeks have definitely had their ups and downs. And that is what this podcast is about, right? It's about celebrating those highs and lows of being a touring performer. And in the last few weeks, I have had like two um, rejections that I got very, very close to to getting but I just you know I hate that I'm saying this but I just wanted to be real you know and share that that rejection happens and it happens to all of us it's just part of the gig you know it it, them's the breaks you know you're not going to book everything and what's meant for you is not going to pass you by I think that sometimes we see you know the cast announcements and and you know the highlight reels, I guess. I mean, this is not an original thing to say. It's not really a hot take, but social media shows the highlight reels of our lives a lot of the time. And, you know, I do this. Like I see all these, you know, like cast announcements and people working and doing amazing stuff. And, you know, I feel like it's like that all the time for everyone else but me. But I know also that that is not true. Like people get rejected. People are in work and then people are out of work. It's just it's just part of the industry. Like I'll I'll eventually book a gig again one day that might be in six months or a year or two years or whatever. And, you know, you might see on social media that I've that I've booked that gig, but you're not seeing that I've auditioned for 10 others and not gotten them, but gotten really close, you know? So I just, hey, this is about celebrating those highs and lows, baby. And that's what I'm doing. I also wanted to share that last night I went and saw um, Christmas Actually, which is the music of Love Actually, produced and starred in by the amazing Naomi Price with other stars such as Steph Jones and Luke Kennedy and Deron Chester. It was so good. And in this show, obviously because it is the music of Love Actually, Naomi sang Both Sides Now by Joni Mitchell. And that 
her rendition of the song was absolutely incredible. And there was one part of the song that's never hit me in a way that it did last night. And that part of the song was the line, something's lost and something's gained when living every day. And that really like impacted me from a different lens, I suppose, because I am in the position that I am in now. And what what I took from that was, you know, with these rejections, sure, I lost that opportunity. I lost that gig. Not that I had it in the first place, you know, it was just something that I might have that I was close to, but it does, I think, definitely feel like you've lost something when you don't book a gig. But in saying that, you know, one door closes, another door opens. When something is lost, something else is gained. It doesn't mean that it's going to be the same thing. Like I didn't get this gig, but I booked this one. You know, I might not book a gig for another six months to a year. Like, I don't know. Those are just the ups and downs of the industry that I have to come to terms with. But, you know, now there are other things that that I can do with my time and I might learn something amazing or have an amazing experience. So I'm really, that's really, really helped me. And I'm choosing to focus on what I can gain rather than focusing on what I've lost. Because here's the thing, right? With me particularly, it is, I can find it very tempting to stew and ask the question, why? Why didn't I get that gig? What was it? Was it because of this note or was it because of the way I looked or was it because of the way I, like what I wore or what I said? And like, we've talked about this with, with many other people as well, but you're never going to know. And you're actually going to go insane if you continue to stew and to brew over over these things. I'm getting better at letting it go, most definitely. But it's like you're never going to know what the truth is. So you just have to make your own truth and go with that. So making my own truth in this situation would be choosing to say, okay, I wasn't quite right, so I'm I'm going to gain something else from that time that I won't be on that show then. You know, so I might be thinking, okay, I, I, I won't be touring on this show during that time. Oh, look at all the triathlons I can do. Or, oh, great, I'll, I'll be able to, to spend Christmas with my family. You know, that that's something that I've gained that, that I wouldn't have had if I was doing that gig. It might not be the thing that you wanted to gain. You know, obviously you wanted the gig, but it's still something that's gained. You know, that's not to say that you're not allowed to feel shit about not booking something because don't like I definitely felt very sorry for myself for a couple of days. But it's like what Caddy Hamilton was saying a few episodes ago about, you know, when people would say to her, like, I keep getting right to the end and not booking it. And she would say, well, you know what that means? You're going to book the next one. You know, it, it's the the truth is is something that you're never really going to know. So you kind of have to create your own truth, I guess, in the moment. You have to decide what's going to be the most productive headspace to put yourself in and kind of live there rather than living on the what ifs and the unknowns. Um, I don't know if that makes a whole lot of sense in the way I've articulated it, but I think because I'm processing so like so much of this rejection stuff, it that line from both sides now just hit me in such a way that it never has before. So I thought I would share that with you. Okay, that is quite enough from me. Let's get into the conversation with Blake. Now, <laughs> I just want to mention 
my intro for this one is really weird. I, I thought that I could make some kind of like chemical formula way into the intro and the conversation, but I, I really don't think it worked. But I kept some of it in <laughs> for authenticity's sake. But I, I'm trying to make you know a different sort of individual exciting intro for every new person. And normally I think they're they're pretty all right, but this one was quite weird. But Blake being the consummate showbiz professional that he is just went with it and god love him let's give it a little start oh sorry (laughs) oh (laughs) so i have a sister who works in chemical engineering and i'm really surprised because i feel like there are several worlds colliding here because caitlin my sister she works with a lot of formulas and those formulas are brilliant And I also think that there are several formulas in the entertainment industry that we think are true, but sometimes they're not. And there's lots of difference of them. I swear I'm getting to the point. This is such a weird intro. (laughs) But I think we sometimes think that in order to work professionally, you have to go to drama school. And we think that's brilliant. You are living proof that you don't have to go to drama school in order to have a fantastic, a brilliant a amazing career and be such a talented artist. That was a very long form way of saying, Blake Erickson, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Oh, man on gun to send Briggs. <laughs> I love it. You got the biggest name in show business. Oh, absolutely not. Oh. But I am so thrilled to have you here. I That was a very strange intro that I may edit down to or not include. (laughs) I liked it. You know, uh, I feel like we've got chemistry and I'm a product of chemistry, I guess. We all are. We all are. Um, So, look, I think it speaks for all of us. Yeah. Just ask Caitlin Gunnison-Briggs. She's got the chemicals and there there are chemicals everywhere, you know? That's true. And in this industry, there are amazing people everywhere and one of them is right here. It's you. It's Blake Erickson. So you are currently performing in Tina, the musical. How is everything going? How long have you been on it? How's it going? Tell me everything. It's going really well. It's been a nice experience because it's been a a very long run already in my hometown. So I'm from Sydney. So it's been really nice to sort of, uh, you know, I know this is the the on-tour pod, but it's kind of been nice to be at home yeah. uh, and doing a show. It's 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 been a bit of a, you know, a real pleasure. So we've been going, uh, rehearsing since pretty much the beginning of this year. I think we opened around well, July-ish. I think we've been going yeah, for about right. six months. We've still got a few more months left to go in uh, Sydney before we hit the road. Yeah, uh, right. So yeah, it's been, it's been going wonderfully well. You know, we've um, uh, settled in really nicely at the Theatre Royal, which... Uh, It is a blessing in Sydney that we still have, you know, we are still sold out. We still have, you know, we are full, which is amazing. It's nice, particularly considering some of the shows I've done, to look out and see uh, a full theatre of people. Absolutely. Uh, And, uh, yeah, it's the kind of show that has a really profound effect on people. To see people laughing, screaming, crying and applauding all at the same time. Yeah. It's it's pretty remarkable. It does. Um, it's it's a pretty powerful show, and uh, yeah, we love doing it. And it is a workout. It's certainly been one of the most physically challenging shows any of us have ever done. But you know, the challenge was laid down to us by the great 
Tina herself, who wow. never gave less than 100% uh, and uh, recognized that, you know, people want these high octane energetic performances and that's exactly what they get. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I saw the show a couple of weeks ago and the atmosphere in the theater, first of all, absolutely packed it was hard to get a ticket which is like so exciting as a performer as well being like oh my gosh it's like full to the brim and people were just absolutely losing it in the best way and I I felt it too I was on my feet I was dancing I was screaming it was such a good show and you are so brilliant in it I've got to say you are just absolutely amazing you are so versatile and you've had such an incredible expansive career with lots of different shows and lots of different roles and I think even earlier this year you were in Tina performing that eight shows a week and also you know rehearsing and watching over the dismissal which you co-wrote at the Seymour Centre which was also absolutely brilliant you wear so many different hats and like I was really weirdly hinting earlier I feel (laughs) like there's this kind of assumption I guess in this industry sometimes that you know everyone who is working professionally has gone to drama school and if it's drama school it's WAPA, NIDA, VCA or the CON or something like that but you are as I said again weirdly before you are proof that that doesn't have to be the case that if you are going to work in this industry you're going to work in this industry because it, it's not really about qualifications in terms of training. It's about what you can bring to the space. So I'm really interested to know, like, how did everything start for you? Like, what's your journey been like? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And, I, you know, I think th- that word you used, uh, you know, to work in the industry, it's, it's definitely been the operative one rather than kind of uh, arriving at a place where, you know, you uh, answer the phone and you've got an offer for a show. It's It has been a lot of work. I feel like in many ways, I almost did an on-the-job apprenticeship, really. Uh, you know, right. I starting out uh, just, where should I begin, really? Back to the beginning. I mean, yeah. I always loved performing all through, you know, primary school and, and all of that. I was, mm. you know, loved getting up on stage and showing off, but I never really considered that it was a, a real career option. And certainly going into high school uh, at the time when I did, you know, at the turn of the 19th century, it was really focused on sport. Um, yeah, uh, right. I remember it well. Um, you know, I kids would be playing sport, you know, kicking balls up against their horse and buggy. Um, and there I was putting on my plays. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, sort of going through high school, I believed the people who said to me, oh, it's very competitive. Oh, I don't know. You sure? You sure? Uh, and I, I'm not one of those people who had enough self-confidence to go, yes, I'm wonderful and I'm just going to do it. I went, you know, no, you've actually got a point. I'm, I don't know what I was thinking. I do apologize. Oh, so, no. Yeah. So I went, uh, you know, I, I had a great time studying biology and commerce in my HSC and then going to university and and and. I spent a lot of time uh, studying um, politics, government, international relations, uh, which is still a you know an area of immense interest for me. But I was I was miserable. I was really miserable, right. and it got to the point where I thought, if I get to the end of my life and I haven't at least just flexed my creative muscles a little, then I'll regret it. And I think life is too short. And so I took the plunge, and auditioned for an amateur show and the first time I ever did a musical I was 21 
like ever. A musical, right. full stop. Okay. Um, I loved the theatre. I was obsessed with it, but from afar, I thought, oh well, this is not. You know, those are the exalted, godly people. Like I could never. Uh, and I did an amateur show, and I went, I, I think I really like this. And I did a few more from that, uh, from uh, a few of those. You know, meeting some really interesting people. And I'm very grateful uh, for my experience in community theater, by the way, mm. it's an amazing training ground. And there yeah. are, there are lessons that you pick up from doing theater at a very young age that endure even things, you know, not just basic stagecraft, but etiquette. And from that, I got an agent. And then it was, it was one of those things where it's just like, I've got an agent now. It's like, so many people think, oh, if I get an agent, that's all I need. That's my ticket to the big time. <laughs> Remember that? Oh, gosh. We say some silly things, don't oh, we? Gosh. Uh, but then I um, I just thought, I'm just going to audition for stuff. Yeah. Why not? And again, it's the stupidity of someone very young to think, sure, I can do this. Can't be that hard. Mm. Um, it is. It really is that hard. And mm. I have a, a lot, a lot of setbacks. But I was also lucky enough to be around at the time when there was this real renaissance of independent musical theatre, particularly the early days of Squabble Logic, the early days yeah. of The Haze. And to kind of be there at that and to do some really interesting varied work with some amazing people who I still get to work with now Slowly but surely, it was working toward doing what I always wanted eventually, which was eight shows a week. Yeah, and right. And I love it. I love it. Oh, my gosh. That is yeah. so interesting. And what was the first sort of professional show that you booked? Gosh, I think the first one that, you know, was like the eight shows a week. The one that I got paid for was a, a musical that didn't have a very long season. It was at, uh, at the theater at NIDA. It was called Atomic. Cool. And uh, it was about the invention of the atomic bomb. It was very similar to the Oppenheimer movie today. Um, at one point at the end of Act One, there's a goat puppet. I should stress <laughs> puppet um, that gets. I'm sorry to anyone out there. Oh, trigger no. warning: animal cruelty. But oh. it, it was 70 but years not ago. A real, it wasn't a real goat. No, 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 no. No, we, they did not sacrifice a goat every night. It yeah. was, uh, and they, but it was a very simulated nuclear explosion. Oh god! Um, which you know doesn't happen. But I did also later in my career get to play opposite that same goat puppet in a different musical what? in Triassic Park. What? So it it has <laughs> been in a musical theater drama and a musical theater high camp comedy. Oh my same god! Same puppet. Uh, and I shared a scene with with that. I mean, that doesn't happen very often, yeah. unless you sort of do multiple into the woods with the same Milky White. You don't come across the same animal puppet very often. Um, so you know, you do see you know faces they come around again in this business. Amazing, such versatility. <laughs> Absolutely. I, although that that goat hasn't worked much lately. I don't know oh. what they did. Maybe they're in a multi-level marketing scheme now. <laughs> I saw Triassic Park. It was so good. I'll never forget it. I was crazy for it. Complete madness. I it's, loved it. It's, it's this ridiculous show. For those who aren't familiar, <laughs> it, it was uh, the story of the dinosaurs at Jurassic Park told from the point of view of the dinosaurs as they go from a community of all female dinosaurs and some of them start to uh, transition to um, other, uh, um, other gender identities uh, as happened in the movie. But it's ridiculous and high camp and... I, honest to God, for any of us involved in that, and there were some amazing people, you know, Monique Saleh and yeah. Adele Parkinson and Rob Johnson, and it is the show more people come up and say, oh, my God, I loved Triassic Park. <laughs> I'm like, 
really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was it was great. It was fun, but it's just like you know, no matter what you do, oh, um, yeah, it's so niche. And so I should good. also say, like total total sidebar for for all of that for you know the the kind of journey that I went on. It certainly to me isn't. The conclusion to me isn't, um, oh, well, training, what's the point? Don't even worry about it. Mm. Uh, there are many, many times when I wish I'd, I'd, you know, had the wherewithal to to train. And I know that people have mixed experiences at various drama schools. And for some people, it's a wonderful, positive experience. And mm. for other people, it's maybe a confirmation that maybe they don't want to do this. And that's totally valid. And all of those experiences are valid. Yeah. I think, you know, I'm in awe of people. I'm working with um, uh, several now in Tina. Um, uh, Gus Noakes, for example, who's come out of drama school and honestly shows up to work every day. And it's like, he's been doing it for 30 years. Wow. And obviously that's his um, talent and uh, attitude, but it's also the training. So I'm in awe of, of what people do at drama schools. I absolutely do. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I, it's interesting because I remember when I finished at drama school, um, one of the teachers was sort of like, he said, you know, everyone who graduates pretty much goes out in the, in the showcases doing pretty much the same thing as they did when they arrived. And I was like, Oh God, like that's, kind of true in a way and then he was like yeah drama school doesn't like create anything new you always had the stuff inside you it just teaches you how to access it if you didn't know how to before or you know certain techniques to keep things fresh or to keep yourself safe or anything like that but if you've got it you've got it I don't know I don't know enough about this so I don't want to like comment too hard on it but I did have a friend who like had it in her mind that if she didn't go to drama school, she wouldn't get auditions. Have you ever encountered any, I guess, barriers to auditions, like because of a, a lack of training ter- tertiary qualifications in terms of performance? It's interesting. I think starting out potentially, yeah, it 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 probably held me back from getting into the room a few times because people didn't have a clue who I was. At least, uh, you know, if you see, you know, XYZ person, Whopper graduating class of last year, you're going to think, well, you know, that's that's enough of an of a you know a calling card or a, you know a a letter of introduction to at least be welcomed into the room. There there were some times when um, uh, early on some agents uh, had said to me, "Look, unless you're a drama school graduate, we really don't want to have anything to do with you," right. which is totally valid now. Um, and um, you know. They don't get my ten percent, so that's that's fine. <laughs> but I'm like, but but is it valid? Because it should it should really just be about what you bring to the table and exactly. the skills that you have. And exactly. There's, there's no guarantee. Also, you know, if someone is a graduate of a drama school, that they're going to be right for the show that they're auditioning for, and someone who's not a graduate might be perfect for that show. So it's like. Gosh, because it, it's so subjective what we do as well. It's complicated. It's complicated. Yeah, definitely. Sure. I, I believe that uh, drama school is amazing to, uh, you know, when it comes to uh, upskilling you and uh, introducing you to new things and new mm. ideas. And, and you know, it, it is incredible the way that it does that. But it's, it's never going to give you passion for the job. It's never going to fill you up with 
you know, a burning desire to be on the stage. That has to be there to begin with. And it has to be there afterwards as well. I'm, you know, I'm sure we have seen people who have burst out of drama school, top of the class, and then just kind of think, I really don't want to do this anymore. The passion's gone. I'd I'd rather kind of do something else. And that's wonderful, you know, to have that realization and not kind of get stuck in a situation you you don't want to be in. um, That's a wonderful thing. But, you know, if all you want to do is be on the stage, Mm. then that's probably what you're going to have to do. And and in the case, in, in my case, where I didn't have the wherewithal, maybe I, I, you know, I lacking the self-confidence in my younger years to even think that it was something that I would have open to me. Mm. Uh, in lieu of that, I just immersed myself in it as best as I could. I tried to see everything. I would go to Vinny's all around Sydney and try to find old programs of shows I hadn't even seen so that I could follow people's careers. And I'd see, oh my gosh, yes, you know, in the, you know, 1985 original Australian cast of Cats, they did this and then they went on to this and then they did that. And suddenly you start to to build an understanding of the industry and you see people perform and you say, oh, I've seen them do this. And then the more shows you see and the more cast recordings you listen to, you start to expand your understanding of, of, of what musical theater can be. And for me, it just spurred me on. The more I found out, wow. I, I just, I wanted to know more. And it, I mean, it all began, I mean, sitting on a booster seat in the theater Royal watching Phantom when I was a little kid. Oh. And I came away from from seeing that just thinking, I want to know exactly how they did that. I want to know everything. I want to know how that sausage was made. Um, And yeah, I I love it. I love knowing how it works. Mm, Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. I I always love hearing about people's first experiences of professional theatre and when that dream is kind of ignited inside them. It's really, really beautiful. And you met like I. I also love what you were saying about going and finding the programs. That that's extraordinary. That blows my mind. You were so 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 interested in this art form, and so when you were you know studying your degree and then obviously still sort of interested in theatre, going and getting those programs, immersing yourself in it, was it kind of when that switch came where you decided I'm going to give this a go? You know, was that on a certain day or was that just kind of a gradual process? And like when that happened, do you think that came out of a place of you had gained more confidence or was it just a sort of the interest in the art form had reached a fever pitch? I think a bit of a combination of the two, but really the the decisive factor for me was when I had done a couple of shows again these you know I was I'd done some amateur shows and I think I'd done one sort of independent musical and I felt like at that stage oh and also by that point I'd, I'd gained an agent and I felt like at this point I sort of had objective proof that I wasn't deluding myself that I could perhaps do this yeah and so sort of from, from that from that mindset then saying you know even to my parents even though I was in my early 20s and I probably just could have gone and done it I, I just needed to prove it to myself and I needed to prove it to people around me and 
having done a couple of shows, there were some people who I really respected, um, some of my directors and people I looked up to, other actors as well, actors who had worked professionally who saw my work and they said, you know, I think you can do this. And that was like, all right, then again, life's too short. I think I will. Yeah. Because how? who knows how long any of us have. And it's, you know, it's like the first time I saw um, Sunday in the Park with George and that song Children and Art and really this idea that children and art are our two most enduring legacies. And I think, you know, I just, that's something that I wanted to be a part of. Yeah. Oh gosh. That's a really beautiful way of putting it. I like that a lot. I'm, I'm interested to know, like you've mentioned, you know, there were confidence issues for you at first, but Nowadays, you know, you are working so consistently, you have for a very long time. Um, When you approach, say, an audition or a rehearsal space or a job now, do you think that you're, for want of a better term, like, you know, uh, training background, um, do you think that influences how you approach an audition or a job? And if it does, like, how do you deal with that? And if it doesn't, like, how do you approach those things? That's a really good question. I think very similarly to what you were describing about coming out the other end of drama school, mm. I find that the the longer I've worked, the more you get to know yourself, your capabilities, uh, perhaps what you could potentially do, even if you're not there yet. Uh, you know, like with Shrek, I was like, I think I can tap dance in six months. And they yeah. went, okay, we'll take you on. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and you, know. you did. Well, I now go into an audition thinking, all right, I've done enough that I I know I know who I am. I know what I can do. I know my wheelhouse. I'm comfortable in my own skin in an audition room. And also the other side of it now, you know, having worked a little bit, I, I you know, we often know people on the other side of the table. It's like, they know me as well. And there's a, there's a certain level of comfort that comes with that. But if you're someone who's just starting out, of course, you know, I was very nervous. They didn't know me from a bar of soap. I was yeah. like, who is this guy who says he's 25, looks 45, um, <laughs> and doesn't have a top A? Then I've been working on hey. it really hard. Or a sleigh, top sleigh. <laughs> That's right. Uh, and, um, yeah, it was it was really, really hard. A lot of it was trial and error. Um, mm. A lot of it was uh, being given little opportunities here and there. But when people talk about building a career, it really is that. You get that first little job. You show up. You work hard. Someone thinks you're – Good. And we'll recommend you for something else. You'll go in and with that recommendation comes a little bit more, uh, you know, confidence when it comes to, you know, the the people who are the decision makers giving you an opportunity. Um, and then eventually you kind of reach a point where, I mean, honestly, I don't know where most of the people I worked with went to drama school. I don't know if yeah. if a lot of them, well, I'm, I know that they would have statistically, but I don't know if any of them went to drama school. It really kind of doesn't matter. What matters is someone's character, someone's ability, someone's attitude and their outlook, uh, often their knowledge. That's the mm. biggest thing. I think immersing yourself and in in this genre to be able to say, oh, yes, that reminds me of something. Like, Jenny Little, who I, who's wonderful in Tina, she'll come up to me and she'll be like, oh, you know, have you seen Steel Pier? Because there's this moment in the show that reminds me of Steel Pier. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, and to be able to um, pull on these references from the collective knowledge that we all have in the field that we work in, it, uh, it 
kind of gives you these these tools that can help you create a performance and can help you create an audition. Because I like to think of an audition as a pre-performance. Yeah, yeah, I like that. It's you know, it's like here's a here's a here's a little free sample. It's like when you you know, you're trying menus at uh, wedding reception venues, and you just think, oh, okay, yeah, mm. I like I like that cake. Yeah. I'll buy the whole thing. Yeah, right. I love that. Yeah. That's really great. Um, you mentioned right at the beginning that ah, oh, what I don't remember exactly what you said, but you that you were sort of idolizing the professionals who were, you know, working in the field in the early days. Now, I am definitely guilty of this where some there are just like the majority of people that I work with, I think I just I just put them on a pedestal because, you know, I maybe a bit less the the more that I've worked, but definitely for the first bit and still a little bit now. I just put everyone on a pedestal because I'm like these these are the people that I've been watching for years and here they are some people I just I couldn't I still can't speak to them properly you mentioned that you did that early on but do you ever find yourself kind of doing that now and if not like has that changed over the years yeah what's your experience of that it's a really good question I guess it could be a little bit of imposter syndrome Ah. mostly for me it happens uh when I encounter the people that I idolized growing up Mm. or in my early 20s yeah it's almost like as an adult, when you see uh, one of your old teachers and you call them Mr. or Mrs. whatever, you, yeah. you cannot bring yourself – I can't call you by your first name. It's yeah. just not going to happen. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you meet a rando, you know, person of that generation on the street, you're obviously going to call them, you know, hi, Helen, and not really bat an eyelid. Uh, so, yeah, I just I, – I have such such reverence for the people who almost were my teachers in a way – the people who I watched and do such brilliant work. And and then, uh, you know, as I've had the opportunity to work with some really incredible people, uh, you know, in twice in the last year working alongside Peter Carroll, who uh, mm. incidentally was a teacher at one point and you know, yeah, right. really one of Australia's most prolific actors. Mm. Uh, and, you know, to, to, you know, get to know them personally, to get to know their sense of humour, to, uh, you know, really share in their love of the craft it's it's incredible it's um you know and and suddenly you know when when you're bonding over a play of uh you know where you bought the program at vinnie's and that's why you know all about it and you remember what their headshot was (laughs) and yet suddenly hearing the stories about what it was like backstage getting fined for being late at the stage door (laughs) no uh, it it all just kind of you know, that nervousness melts away because across the generations, we are a part of a legacy that stretches back hundreds of years. I, wow. I still remember, do you remember it was opening night of uh, Shrek in Melbourne at Her Majesty's and, and mm. John Frost got up and made that wonderful speech talking about the history of the theatre that we were in and J.C. Williamson and the legacy of all of the generations who have done exactly what we're doing now and now we're carrying the torch. Oh, yeah. I mean, then we shut down for COVID, of course. But um, hey, we're back, baby. And <laughs> we're back, baby. But I just, I loved that because we really are. And it's one of the things I think uh, I, I'm glad I, I, I did was to take a, a really strong interest in the history of what we do and the people who have been doing what we do. Because really, with live theatre, once the set is packed up and the costumes put away, all that's left is maybe a poster or a program. And that's yeah. it. And I think that's such a shame. I wish that there was more. I wish we had a museum 
that we could go Ooh. to and see, you know, uh, our history, uh, but we don't. Um, but may, although there is there is a, um, a wonderful standing exhibition, I know that they have in Adelaide. I think of a lot of costumes. I know you see someone you go to NIDA, really? um, but uh, it's the magic and I guess the sadness of theatre that once it's over, it's gone. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. I'd actually I'd forgotten about that speech until you brought it up. Again, that was a beautiful speech. It really was. Yeah. It really was, and it, it was really kind of there was a sense of occasion, and you felt the history, especially in a lot of those beautiful old theatres where you're just like, oh my gosh, the ghosts. And and now I love what they've done at the Theatre Royal with the renovations there and how they've got the plaques outside of the theatre all up and down the alleyway of all of the amazing people who have performed at the Theatre Royal at that location over the years. Have you seen this? Oh gosh, no. It's amazing. You've got like uh, plaques for Dame Nellie Melba and Anna Pavlova and, uh, you you know, even even that production of Phantom of the Opera has a plaque outside of the theatre now that, you know, the, the one that sparked my interest in wanting to do it in the first place. And every day I walk to work past the plaque and straight in the stage door. Oh, my God. Down those stairs. I love that. I love that. Yeah. And can I ask you um, also, what do you think has been, like, the biggest lesson that you have learned through working in live theatre? Oh, my goodness. That's Sorry, a, I didn't prep you for that one. No, it just kind no. of occurred to me. That's a that's a that's a really really good question. I'd say there's there's probably a few. One of the things that's held me in in good stead is almost a little bit like the military in a way, in the sense that I I have great respect for people's rank. You know, if you've mm. if you've been working in show after show after show, or if you've been working in your position for years or decades, mm. um, I. I have great respect for that. And I think it's it's experience and tenure is not to be underestimated. Yeah. Um, because we have so much to learn from people who have done so much more than us. And, of course, that's not to say that they can't be wrong. That's not to say that they don't have bad ideas yeah. or, you know, um, I'm not saying that, you know, people get a free pass just because they've been working since day dot. One of the things I've loved is, is to work with someone who has been working in this field for so long and- you know, they're, they're always very, very generous with advice, with sharing their experiences, with, you know, sharing their point of view. And, and you know, it's it's a privilege. I mean, if you are lucky enough to be uh, working with uh, someone with a great deal of experience, really ask them some questions. Yeah. Say, you know, I've, you know if, if you're having a particular challenge in a show, it's like, oh, I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm worried my lines aren't quite, you know, sitting well or you know i'm i'm having trouble remembering to do this it's like have have you ever experienced that and you know people are people are generous with um with their time and and with their experiences in this field and it's it's an amazing resource yeah oh i love that that's uh, that is so true on so many levels and it reminds me i was just actually talking to zoe coppinger um earlier amazing amazing performer incredible lady and she was saying like it you don't need to I don't know I think that I sometimes would assume that people with so much experience don't need to be told that they're amazing or that you admire or or something like that and so sometimes I think I'll hold myself back because I'll be a bit starstruck and I'm like oh you know they're 
you know, whoever they might be, they don't need me to tell them they're great. Like they know they're great. They've done this, but like it, like, it's just good to connect with those people and let them know that you do admire them. And and you might learn something from what they've got to share. Definitely. The wisdom of the elders. I mean, it's, it's there. It's true throughout time. Definitely. Truth. I have one last question for you. Sure. And that is if you were to encounter someone who was like who hadn't gone to drama school and who was feeling a bit discouraged from auditioning or giving it a go in this industry, what would you tell them? In addition to seeing everything you can see, and I know theatre is expensive, but YouTube is an amazing resource in lieu of that, Um, listening to everything you can listen to online uh, and reading everything you can Libraries are still free. Um, mm. I would suggest you got to make your own work. You really do. Yeah, there is right. no, there is absolutely no substitute for it. I faced the exact same situation, and with uh, this bravado that exists with youth, I went. I'm going to make a one-man show. Why not? And I wrote this play um, called Pearls Before Swine, An Evening with Orson Welles. I put it on. I found a producer. I went for it. I went through several productions. We toured it to Melbourne. Oh, my gosh. And then it it was from that that I gained so many opportunities. But had I not sort of thought, okay, back to the drawing board. What do I want to say? What do I have to say? And it's Mm. not just about – that said, you know, I, I found an idea that that really engaged with me. It wasn't just like, I'm just going to put on a show. It had to be something that I, I thought was going to be interesting. It's, yeah. it's part of the reason why I, I didn't put on a cabaret until I felt like I had something to say. And that was probably almost a decade after that. Um, after the Awesome Wells show. Yeah. What do you have to say? What is your point of view? Mm. Um, that's, that's what I really like to know. And also think about... I'm giving a three-pronged piece of advice. Go for it. Immerse yourself in content, create your own work. Think about the performers that you enjoy seeing the most and investigate what their career was like. Mm. You might be surprised. I loved Elaine Stritch. She went to drama school practically in a convent and then just started auditioning for Broadway and ended up doing it. Of course, it was a little bit different mid-century in the United States to where we are now uh but you know i look at these amazing people people who you know um someone like amanda harrison for example who um was about to go to drama school um left because she got a gig doing aspects of love and never looked back yeah, next thing right. you know she's alphaba you know it's it's just incredible it's amazing some think about your favorite performers as well oh that's so great that is so great of I feel I've just lied to you because I said I had one more question, but I've actually got <laughs> one more. <laughs> it's like Corey, one more time. It's not one more time. I'm interested to know because we've talked a lot about confidence in this episode. Yeah. When you, I don't know, I don't want to assume, but I feel like it's a fairly normal thing for human beings, particularly in this industry, to go through ups and downs of confidence. You might get a knock in your career and you have to build that confidence back up. How, how do you navigate those highs and lows? with your confidence it's first of all it's i absolutely do i <laughs> definitely yeah. share that yeah, uh, me too. oh yeah i mean i think everyone does uh, i think you know when you're working in an industry that uh is uh, about what not just the work that you do but sometimes 
how you look, how you talk, how you move, how you may or may not fit into a costume or all of that. It's, you know, it's, it's a lot. It's yeah, a lot. Yeah. Um, I find it's, I can get caught in a trap very easily if I'm too focused on the job. And if I'm not taking a step back and thinking about my life more holistically, I, it sounds like a really sort of twee piece of advice, but I'm mm. a big fan of hobbies. Yeah. I think hobbies are really good and really healthy yeah. and it's something that I'm trying to do more of. So I've been like painting Christmas baubles and just doing stuff outside of work that is very low stakes that I can mm. feel a sense of satisfaction having completed um, that uh, helps me think, okay, there's work over there and then here's life over here and then here's, here's a little something just for me is like, do my arts and crafts or whatever, um, or take the dog for a walk. It's really important that while you take your job seriously and you do a lot of hard work and you immerse yourself in it, that it doesn't just become everything that you're about because mm. that is a shortcut to misery. Yeah. I forget who it was who said this, probably a few people over the years, but this is a job, no matter how much you love it, it will never love you back. I mean, I might've even That's heard true. someone say it on your podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, it's true. And it's it's a little bit sad, but it's, you know, just yeah. it's that unconditional love. It's like, even if you don't love me back, I'm still going to love you. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I love that. And I love that you have come on the podcast today. It has been such a pleasure. You're such a wonderful person to talk to. And I just really appreciate you sharing your insights and your experiences. And I'm sure you've got a show to go to. Shortly. I do. Tina yes. At the Theatre Royal. Um, all the best for that. Thank you so much for coming on. Bye, Blake. Bye. Bye. All righty, everyone. That is all from me this week. Thank you so much to Blake for coming on the episode. I really, really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did when I was having it with him. Um, you can follow the podcast on Instagram at Life on Tour Pod. And please, if you are so inclined, do flick me a review and a little subscribe um, on wherever you get your podcasts. And I will be back in your ears next week. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Keep celebrating those highs and lows. And until we meet again, bye.